guys. Welcome again to the Delta Flyers. We are a weekly podcast that discusses episodes of Star Trek Voyager in chronological order. Your two hosts along this podcast journey are myself, Garrett Wong, a.k.a. Ensign Harry Kim, and Robert Duncan McNeil, who played Lieutenant Tom Paris. If you are interested in either an extended version of this podcast or the extended video version of this podcast, both of which include added bonus segments, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the Delta Flyers and sign up and become a patron. Hello, Robbie. Hi, Garrett. How are you? <laughs> nice to be well, back. I, I'm back. And for those of the uh, everyone who's watching, um, you can see my scar from my operation that I had in May. So It's so funny. You just pointed that out. I've seen you since your, your operation, and I don't even notice that unless you literally point it out. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Really? It's so huh. funny. Yeah. Well, the cool thing is the surgeon actually did the incision along the lines of my my natural creases. Uh, you yeah. know, when you get older, you get those those crease lines in your neck. So um, that's a good thing. I'm, I'm, I'm glad he did that because if he kind of went straight across and not at a curve at an angle, it'd be yeah. more noticeable probably. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing what they can do with surgeries these days. Like I tore my ACL uh, eight years ago mm-hmm. and... and uh, I can't see any scars from that. Like, I mean, it was definitely a tough recovery from the ACL replacement that I had. And it took me about a month before I was really moving even semi-normal. But, yeah. um, but now it feels totally normal. I never notice it. And the, the, the incisions around my knee are like, you, you can't even, I can't even find them half the time. Wow. It's amazing. Huh. Yeah. Okay. And for those of you listening that don't know what happened, I, I had to have um, spinal surgery. My disc between the C5 and C6 vertebrae was completely bulging. And um, I found that out when I had to go get an MRI after I had a big fall up in Calgary at the Calgary Zoo um, at nighttime. They have a an event called Night Lights and I slipped on the ice. So um, I had some concussion type of uh, symptoms and I really wanted to see what was going on and once I had the MRI the neurologist showed me oh my gosh you need to get this fixed this thing is this this disc is so enlarged that it's pushing against the spinal fluid um, blocking the spinal fluid pushing against the spine so this is something that's affecting your mobility I was having mobility issues my hands were completely numb so this was wow. a surgery that had to happen yeah then it got postponed because of COVID-19 then they had a surgery said oh gosh this guy really needs it badly so certain certain surgeries are allowed during um, COVID-19 time if they're if they're vital and so they can they deemed my surgery a vital surgery so i had it done on may 7th didn't you tell me jerry ryan had the same kind of surgery or something yeah jerry ryan had the same surgery i just saw her on um the, the cruise ship uh, uh star trek cruise and she has a, the same scar right in the front they went in through the front to deal with the back so i guess they kind of moved the trachea over um yeah hers uh hers was done i think back in january maybe when she had hers done and it's funny because i i actually was I was so freaked out that I called, I called her the night before my surgery and I was just like, hi, Jerry, it's me. I need to talk to you. <laughs> She's like, what? I go, just, just, just talk to me about, you know, how, how long was it after the surgery that you were able to walk around and this and that. And so I just got more details and just had a little, um, 
uh, a pep talk from her as well as watching that video which you guys contributed to that that Megan and Aaron kind of put together um, of all the well wishes before going into surgery um, that was wonderful um, you were on there Bob Picardo was on there that was funny because he was talking about how he was actually going to perform the surgery <laughs> in the video yeah. so, <laughs> he, says, uh, he said I'm on my way to the I'm on my way to the, the hardware store to pick up my necessary tools for this surgery and I go great um, Kenneth Mitchell uh, from Discovery did a little little clip on that video which nice. was great he, he actually said um he goes I, I find some weird enjoyment in the fact that you will actually be feeling worse than i do right now <laughs> so that you know uh, was another thing that made me laugh and kind of lighten it up but um, nice. that, yeah that conversation with jerry really really helped nice. um all right so <clears throat> this week's episode emanations is the name of the episode um so for those of you who are our Patreon patrons, hold on. We're about to play a little game called What Do We Remember? And for everybody else, stay tuned as we go and watch the episode and uh, come right back with our analysis and in-depth discussion. Hey guys, we are back from re-watching the episode and... Um, it was uh, refreshing to see myself again yeah. starring, <laughs> starring in my own episode. Yeah, I know. You had a big story. You yeah. had a, I mean, come on. It starts with a close-up. I, I made notes of this as we went through, but literally, like, how many times can we start an act on Harry's face and then end the act on Harry's face and then come back on Harry's face? <laughs> Everything was a close-up. Every, every part of it was a close-up of, of Harry. Did you notice, Funny. Was as you were watching, was there any usage of fisheye lens in this yes. at all? Yes. Okay. A number of times, yeah. Because I, mean, I remember... When, when you say fisheye lens, uh, I think that's an exaggeration. He used, okay. he used a, a wide lens. I think that uh, uh, we shot on 35 millimeter film uh, yeah. when, we sh when we filmed Voyager. Right. Um, I don't think any TV shows shoot on film anymore, but... We shot a 35 millimeter film. And so the the wide lens that David Livingston liked to use was the 14 or the 12 millimeter, which on a 35 millimeter negative is a pretty wide lens, but it's not quite a fisheye. Anyway, I think he used the 14 or the 12. But, so there, was, there wasn't anything even more fisheye-y than that lens that you're talking about? No. I recall that I was fighting him in this episode. Like I, I said, I said, listen, please, especially with that one scene when I, it just comes to me and I'm inside the alien, um, you know, uh, transference facility or whatever. And I sit right. there and I, and I go, why? Cause they're about to transfer me to another location. And it's just yeah. that close up on my face. And I remember David, the director saying, listen, I'm really going to, this is so cool. I gotta, I gotta show you this lens. And, so I looked through the camera and I was like, what? I mean, it looked like that, that when you look through a peephole, you know what I'm saying? If you're, of your apartment, you know, and at the people knocking at your door and, the, and they're just this totally distorted. It looked like it was an even a wider lens than normal. And I remember fighting him and saying, I think everybody, everybody fought him. He loved those wide lenses, especially yeah. the, the women really did not find it flattering at all. And yeah. 
it's not a it's not a necessarily a flattering lens but it's it can be an effective lens just in terms of feeling uh, a bit like in, you're in a crazy house like a you know a, 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 yes. a, a fun house or a weird like reality is is um kind of closing in on you in a weird way I, I, I agree. I agree 100% that it does add that, uh, that element of sort of, you know, that art house film sort of, hey, let's get this feeling or whatever. But I think you can evoke that without having to use some crazy lens that distorts the Well, he, he used it all the time. <laughs> David Livingston used it all the time. He was the only director that used it so, so much. And Marvin Rush, our director of photography, really hated it. Not because, and Marvin didn't ha hate it necessarily because of the, the image on the film, the wide. Marvin, it frustrated Marvin because when you use a wide lens like that, all of your lights that you're lighting the actors with have to be further away because oh. now you're, you're seeing a lot more of the set, right? So you can't mm -hmm. have lights on stands, you know, back right here and right here. They've got to go way out here to get outside yeah. outside and and the lights that are hung up above sometimes you see the ceiling so you can't use overhead lights and particularly for women because that wide lens takes all of that that real estate away from marvin mm. uh, he hated that lens because he couldn't make the actors look as cinematic or beautiful because you just don't have anywhere to light from so. Interesting. Okay, so therein lies the dispute between Marvin Rush That's and really, David Livingston. It's it's not about the the uh, the effect the lens has story wise or anything like that. It's yeah. literally like, please don't use this all the time because now I can never light anybody. And David loved to use it all the time. So, so and that you know. Was, yeah. yeah, and that tension kept going, and it built. Oh yeah, every year it built and built and built because David kept, you know, getting more episodes to direct. And so, just everyone knows, David Livingston was the supervising producer on the show. So, you know, his job wasn't the as you know his first job was supervising producer. Second job was he got a shot at directing episodes, and he did turn in a pretty damn good product. But um, over the years, that tension kept building and building and building. And I remember pulling Marvin Rush aside one day. I was just walking towards the set. And it was after a particularly harsh, you know, uh, day where there was a lot of, you know, words being spoken by Marvin towards David. And David really was very, he would sort of um, take the submissive role. He would almost be like, okay, yeah, sure. All right. Sorry, Marvin. Sorry. Okay. It's all right. I mean, he, he didn't really fight as much. And, and it was just so difficult to watch Marvin come down so hard on David. And I stopped Marvin one day and I was like, Hey man, just for like, just, just the, the energy on the set, just to stay away from that negativity. Like I, I just, please, it's so hard for me and for everyone to watch this kind of you know tension going on is there any way you can lighten up on him and i remember i even got a little emotional about it right and so and marvin wow. was like marvin's like wow garrett's crying over this you know i mean this was something that really affected well, me well you have to remember that david livingston had worked on next generation and yeah deep space nine and he'd been around a long time so they knew each other for a long time okay so, so when we started they already had that dynamic and that history. And, and I'll be honest, I remember the way you described David as kind of going, I'm sorry, and being submissive. I think that was a, it was an act. Because yeah, David, yeah. David would go, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then he could still do, 
he'd ignore what what someone was asking or yes. frustrated with. He'd completely ignore it and do whatever he wanted. So, so I I, I think he kind of created that that bullying on himself or that it, frustration. He yeah, brought it on himself a bit. He did. He did. He would do that act where he would try to pacify you in the in the short run, right? So it was a, like a a short term band aid was put on the situation. And it's he would called just be, it's called not being real. <laughs> it's called lying, dishonesty, capitulation, faking, pretending, avoiding, codependent, people okay. pleasing. There's a bunch of names for it. But it's hey, not uh, real. It's not real. That frustration, that, that that tension. Yeah. Anyway, uh, one I, of like, the, I like David. He frustrated yeah. me too over the okay. years. Let's, yeah, anyway. let's let's move on from that. And I just want to just let's there is um there is a request just you know from one of the one of the fans saying that it'd be nice if we could just give a quick synopsis of each episode before we start talking about it. So oh yeah, here's my here's my syn synopsis. I would say that uh, still early in their journey back to the Alpha Quadrant, they uh, find Voyager finds a sign of some elements discover some elements they think might help them in this journey to uh to help the warp core and help them get back so as they go discover it they find a burial site and in an emergency return back to the ship from this burial site ensign harry kim is mistakenly swapped out with the dying person so Harry accidentally ends up in the other dimension and Voyager is left to try to find him. Oh, and okay. the journey of the episode is how does Harry come back from this other dimension? Can he, can he live, survive it? And, and uh, it's about the afterlife and faith and death and dying. It's about those issues. Okay, that's a good synopsis. Yeah. Um, just to clarify, not elements, but element, because they talk about 246 elements known to Federation science, at least I, I Harry says that yep. at the very beginning, and that we may have found the 247th. And now if you talk about the periodic table, we have 118, I think, elements. So it's interesting to know that in the future, in, in our time, in Star Trek time, um, that we have... Uh, practically uh double well yeah i would th i would expect that if uh we were to if we were to uh travel into other universes and like star trek time does that we would find other elements i wonder if on like the mars rover i wonder if anything has been discovered or if we had the ability to to see about any other elements on Mars or something like that already. I wonder, although that's kind of in our universe, you know, it's kind of in the same, mm -hmm. like we may have to go much further away to find more elements, yeah. but yeah, it's an interesting little detail of science there. I also noticed that this episode had a lot of techno babble for Janeway. This was very heavy for tech. Janeway had to go rattle off, rattle off some long ass lines. I mean, when I talk about uh, discovering the, that element, then she, and I say the element appears to be stable. She says, a stable transuranic element inside a natural environment. I mean, it's, uh, there's a lot of tongue twisters going on for Jane. I think this whole episode is too, the science is very confusing. I got to be honest, this whole okay. episode. I like, I love actually 
the exploration of faith, the afterlife, death and dying, all those issues. I actually love that idea. I really, yeah. I'd forgotten about this episode and starting to explore that, I was like, that's a cool idea, but I felt like the science, often with Star Trek, the science sort of helps me understand the theme better. Whereas in this case, I think the science kept distracting me, it was too complicated. And, yeah. and we'll get there later on, but like, when they talk about vacuoles, vacuoles keep opening. I actually looked up what a vacuole is. Vacuole is a biological term. It, it's a membrane bound cavity within a cell, often containing a watery liquid or secretion, a minute cavity or vesicle in organic tissue. Uh, it, that's a vacuole. I didn't understand it in the episode. They kept talking about vacuoles in the wrong way, in my opinion, like that's not a vacuole. It, a giant energy thing is not a vacuole because we're talking about a cell membrane. That's what a vacuole means. Anyway, uh, I found the science confusing uh, from the very beginning. When you yeah. heard vacuole, were you thinking vacuum cleaner? Did that come across? A little bit. I was thinking about a vacuum. <laughs> yes. A va okay. I was thinking about like vacuous space or va but it, they kept saying vacuole. I'm vacuole. like, is that a real thing? Yeah. So I found the science confusing generally. Because that to me sounds like a hybrid of vampire and Dracula. It's vacuole. That's what it is. It's a vacuola. <laughs> a vacuola. Um, but that would be Scott Bacula, a vacuola. <laughs> uh, so there, <laughs> there, um, there is an interesting, I just want to point out. By the way, uh, pause yeah. for a second. Yes. Put your, put your hat down. Put your hat down lower. Why? Look, so you got a Blue Jays hat, right? Toronto. Yeah, that's do. a Toronto Blue Jays. My right. hat, Town Moto is a motorcycle shop in Toronto. Shut up. Shut up. We both have Toronto hats on right now. Get, get off my lawn. What? You're, are you serious? Get out of town. Get out of town. Uh, get off my, my lawn. God. By the way, Robert, uh, yes. I just called you Robert. That is so yes. weird. I've never called you Robert in my entire entirety of my life. Okay. Am I in entire, trouble? You're not in trouble. Okay. <laughs> but get off my lawn is a line from... 100%. That independent uh, film that I did that I you came to the screening of, the all-age oh, yeah, yeah, film, yeah. and the character uh, that spoke that line is the is uh, the young actress who played on Gilmore Girls as the friend of the of the lead, the Asian oh, friend. Oh, funny. Yeah, so oh. Keiko Agena, Agena was the uh, actress's name, and that, you know, 100% that movie. Lawn. Yeah, because she was, she was, she said something like, shut the front door, get off my lawn. Like she was saying stuff like, get out, you know, like it was just right. you know, kind of a, a snappy, witty banter is what it was. Right. Um, and that was Keiko's very first uh, on camera um, non theater role. And I remember oh, cool. because she was, you know how it is when theater actors do their first film or TV, yeah. they're way big. You know what I'm saying? They, they, they're projecting to the back of the house. So they don't realize that that camera is so close up on their face mm -hmm. that they just have to think the thought. They don't have to like, you know, do anything extra. Mm -hmm. And I remember Keiko definitely was big when she was filming that film, um, 100%. But of course, when she got on Gilmore, Gil, Gilmore Girls, I, you know, I couldn't be more proud of her and she, she adjusted her level of yeah. acting output. Um, but when okay. we were on that uh, alien asteroid. So you go, to the, you go to the asteroid, you're going yeah. through some caves. Yep, you're looking, yeah. you, you, got the, you got the tricorders out. 
Yeah, it's very Halloween-y because they've got sort of like, you know, the cotton, you know. Yeah, thing. and I want to say like Chakotay, Chakotay, I don't understand. He's like walking, he walks right into the into the spider web. Yes. And then and he acts surprised. He goes, what the hell is this or something? What is this? Yes. He says, and what was, the hell is this? Mm -hmm. And I was like, why did you just walk into it and then act surprised? <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's clearly his face was up and he's kind of aware that this giant spider web is there. Why did you walk into it and then act like, whoa? So that, well, that it made me laugh. Yes, I would like to bring up this point right now that um, when it comes to like cursing, you know, curse words, like if you watch Discovery, all the new, sh the new Trek shows, Picard, they drop the F-bomb a lot. You know, they drop, wow. you, you hear the F-bomb yeah. on the newer Star Trek. So you never hear the F-bomb on Voyager or TNG or DS9. But in this, you know, episode, I think this is the first time that anyone has said hell. And Chicote said, what the hell is this? And that was wow. the most that we were ever allowed to say when it came to cuss words mm, mm -hmm. was hell. And so I, I don't know if that's something that ever registered with you. Maybe damn, didn't we? Didn't, I bet Janeway at some point said, damn, you think the damn, damn word it, was used? Damn it, do this or something like that. Yeah, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure guess. that's probably there. But that, that there, was no, there was no S word and no F word, you know, no. MF, none no. of that. You know? No, we never went No, that, right? not on Janeway's ship. She no. Would not have it. No. Okay, so the other thing I noticed is besides Chicote purposely walking into a spider web and then <laughs> acting surprised, um, I noticed that the whole teaser started on your face close up, ended on your face. The other thing I, I remember near the end of that teaser is when you guys walk out to that, in the caves, to that second floor kind of part and you're looking down at all the dead bodies, yeah. I had this memory of how difficult it was always to shoot on that second floor. Like oh. we didn't, we had to get a crane, like it was very, it wasn't easy. And okay. it was much slower. And I remember whenever directors went in there and, and they would say, okay, let's go up, up to the second floor. I was always like, oh God, the second this is going to, it's going to take forever. Cause it's just not easy to shoot up there. That was stage was, 16, stage 16, yeah. stage 16. Yep. Mm -hmm. It was kind of the, it was like a balcony um, up, up above. So it was hard yeah. to reach. So it was odd. Well, you know how you just mentioned about how it, it, it the teaser comes in on Harry and then it ends on Harry. So uh, when it ends on me, when it ends on Harry in the cave, my note here is that I look like a doll, like a like a porcelain doll. I my hair is perfect. There's rosiness to my cheeks, um, and I'm bringing this up because later, you know, once I get sucked into the vacuole and end up in the planet, I come out of that that little cocoon coffin thing and, and, and like, a vacuole oh. and vacuole is the wrong word by the way but right. anyway, vacuole is the wrong word and i come out we can say energy vacuole so that okay. instead of a cell vacuole right so it doesn't okay. have to be liquid it could be an energy so then i i come out and i go <gasps> and i jump up and by the way that's like a postcard that someone made of me of like that look of shock when i first come out of that little coffin the alien coffin they made a postcard out of that um cbs did and for many years, people would bring that to my autograph table and I would have to sign oh, funny. That, that. Yeah, that picture funny. of me going, oh, but my hair is completely disheveled, okay? It's down. It's By the face. way, you're getting ahead of me, but yes, when your hair's all messed up and then later on, it's, it's like- It's perfect you went, again. Yes, I made that I, note. 
Yes. You did make the note. I went yes. to the salon. I went, I said, listen, guys, I need to go to the alien That's salon. That's literally what I said in my notes. He's like, yeah, I need, when did you have time to go to the alien salon? That's literally what I said. Okay. That's funny. Um, okay. Uh, by yeah. the way, I got to say, yes. you, dis you disagree with the commander early on. I did. I did. Yeah. He's, he says we should leave these bodies alone. And you're like, you know what, commander? I, I respectfully disagree with you. That's very yeah. gutsy. You're it like, was gutsy. Because it is your first contact, your first first contact. Yeah. And 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 uh, and first contacts. I mean, we end up having a lot of first contacts in Voyager more than most any other series, probably because we're in a whole new quadrant and right. and meeting a lot of new alien species. But first contacts are a big deal, and I thought that was handled well in this episode. That you really, when you were over there, and we keep we keep jumping back and forth, but. When you eventually get over there, you really try to be respectful of um, what's his name's Hatil. Hatil, yeah. You try to be very respectful of Hatil's beliefs, yep. And yet be honest with him, and I thought that was very well handled, especially for a character who is having his first first contact. Yeah, that is that is true. Um, and I do I did like the fact that. Uh, Oh, oh! Back to me, my insubordination of comment of like I respectfully disagree. It's interesting that Harry takes that stance, especially since it is Chakotay who invites Harry to come on the away mission. So it's sort mm -hmm. of like, hey, come to my party. And then while I'm at the party, I'm like, you don't get this piece of cake. So well, I'm a maybe bit that's maybe that's why you felt that you had the permission because he had already given you permission and encouraged you to come along. And right. maybe you thought, oh, well, I'm going to see how far I can push this to, to right. kind of express myself and yeah and it's it, it is nice that the Chakotay character really um let's see he puts a lot of value in burial grounds and and not desecrating because he gives that story about how he took a rock from someplace and he desecrated a, a tomb site or something in the in the past and and sort of you know drawing upon that that notion that that native cultures especially are very um they're very cognizant of where they place their dead, how they, you know, and how they, how they um, revere that area as sacred space, as sacred ground. Well, I think and that sacred ground, you said sacred ground. I directed I did that say, episode. I know that is, see, look uh, at that, man. We're in the same wavelength. We are on the same wavelength, McNeil. Um, um, I, I think that uh, the, the native, the native sort of perspective that Chakotay brings about honoring the rituals of death and things like that and kind of uh -huh. being open to different kinds of rituals. I, I, I like the fact that that native perspective is sort of brought in a bit because natives do really um, respect their ancestors. And, and that's a part of the native culture that I, I, I really admire. And because in modern human culture, most of our modern human culture, there's very little recognition and honoring of our ancestors, of our grandparents yeah. and great grandparents, and where we, the people that came before us that made our lives possible. Right. Um, I think native, native people really value that and, and integrate that into their culture, so. I'm, I'm gonna expand upon that, what you just said, because if you think about native cultures, Native Americans, First Nations in Canada, where did they come from? They came across the Bering Strait from Asia 
Mm -hmm. And in Asia, especially, and I know definitely within my own Chinese culture, that there is that definite respect of ancestors where you go to the grave site and you, mm. you, you pray to the ancestors. So I think that sort of is more of That's an great. Yeah. thing. Yeah. I do have to say about Chakotay, by the way, he's very respectful, but notice that he had his tricorder out. He's scanning the shit out of this place. And then he gives everybody a lecture on no tricorders, no scanning. I'm like, wait a minute, dude. You knew they were dead five minutes ago. You've been scanning them for the whole time. Like, Is that so right? Yes, he was scanning. I, I thought he didn't know that they were... I that thought, they were dead? No, he not told, that... <laughs> he told Janeway, he said, he's talking to Janeway. He goes, yeah, we've got uh, however many dead here. Some have been here for a long time. Some 11 days. Right. One just came in 12. Yeah. So he's clearly scanned them. He did scan them initially, but then he felt like, well, wait a minute. This is like me taking that rock from the sacred place. So then he closes it and says, let's just like do a visual. Uh, I don't know. I found it confusing again, because I'm like, wait a minute. You just scanned all this information clearly. <laughs> and now you're saying, you guys, we can't scan them. Yeah. Or maybe if it had just been as simple as, you know, maybe we should stop scanning or something. Clarification. Because yeah. to me, it was like, wait a minute. If that's what you think, you should have stopped five minutes ago before you knew they were dead. Like I do get what you're saying. Did you find the beam out to be a little bit odd with everybody doing these like ah, these moves right before the beam out of the cave? Did that? Uh, no. No. Okay. No. It, it kind of looked like our promotional photos where we have we're pointing and we're like doing this. Oh, that's things. funny. Yeah, that's what I. That's no, what it, it reminded me of. So it didn't bother me. Okay. I, I found it a little confusing that the dead body showed up on the B side and, and we hadn't really seen that. Like I knew there were dead bodies around, but right. it just seemed conveniently like they were standing six inches away from a dead body when this happened. Yeah, that was a little confusing. So once I end up on this alien, uh, you know, planet, um, yep. one thing that I forgot is that these were the double nostril aliens, right? They have yeah. the two sets of yeah, very distracting, very distracting. And I remember that was something that when I was working with. Uh, the actor that played Dr. Naraya, uh, played by Jerry Harden, who played um, Deep Throat in X-Files, if you guys are X-Files mm -hmm. fans. Every scene I had, I kept staring at his second set of nostrils and I was like, don't yeah. look at the nostrils. Don't look at his nostrils. Look at his eyes. Look at his eyes. Like in theory, it should be a cool idea, but it, yeah. it was just distracting. It um, is. And by the way, when they beam back in yeah. and you're not there and there's a dead body on the floor, mm -hmm. You can see that actor breathing the whole time. <laughs> Literally. Oh, and, no. and this happens later on, too. I hope, like, I, I hope she's not listening to this. <laughs> you can totally see her breathing. <laughs> Sorry about that, but yes, I did not notice that. Oh, my and, God. And they literally say, like, she's dead. Yeah. Like, if they just look down, they'll see her breathing and go, oh, she's not dead. <laughs> Did you see her breathing because of, was the, was the gauze because, stuff moving or her chest was moving yeah. up and, oh, so they, it's like they, sh they should have done a visual effect or moved her a little differently or something because, <laughs> you know, you can't say, yes, she's dead when the audience can literally see. And by the way, this happens later on. When Patera ultimately dies, she's still scan, moving. She's breathing. Yes. She's still, when she's dead, dead. Oh my yes. gosh. Okay. You can, and Janeway says, you know, uh, <laughs> let's send her back. That's where she belongs and all that. She's breathing again. Like, you right. gotta. 
I mean, for me, in the theater, I remember, you would turn your, you know, you'd die this way. Sideways, yeah. Well, yeah, kind of on your side with your back. Or if you do a, if you do, if you have to die like this, or you're filming it, if we're filming it, we might do a visual effect where Mm. we, we split, we split off, you know, split off the person who's dead and freeze frame that and then keep, keep the other people moving so you have a real frozen dead body whereas this one a number of times i was like come on she's breathing i'm a little shocked that david livingston who is mr detail did not catch that uh while he was watching the monitor that that she was still moving that's a little little well you know what back in those days now we're all used to you know 75 inch tvs and you know 4k and all this back in those days the director monitors were about were about this big Mm-hmm. They were probably about a 10 inch black and white monitor. They were not even color. They were video tap from the camera. Right. They would have a little, a little video camera and the director would sit by two monitors with the direct, with the director of photography, Marvin Rush. And the director looks at these two tiny monitors in metal boxes. Um, and they're small. They're like 10 inch monitors. So you couldn't see that sort of detail, you had to trust your camera operators to tell you, hey, I saw her breathing or whatever. Yeah. I was gonna say that uh, it, when Janeway, when, uh, <laughs> when, they're in this, when they're in sick bay and Janeway is talking to the doctor, Chakotay's there, and the doctor talks about the biopolymer fibers basically being the, this, you know, it's excreted from their skin when they're do- dead. So it's basically, their dead bodies, right? Their yeah. dead uh, uh, organic material. Yes. And then he realized, and then uh, the doctor says, well, basically you've been strolling through dead bodies. And the look on Chakotay's face was just awesome. Oh yeah, he started to turn sideways. He's, he's, he's sideways like, and he's like, Oof. ooh boy. <laughs> you know, because you know, Mr. I mean, he played it well, but for someone yeah. who doesn't want to desecrate somebody's tomb or some burial ground, he just walked right through the bodies going through that wispy uh, spider web stuff. What, right? was the, what was the doctor's line again about the, the fiber? What did he say? Their body secretes. Yeah, their body excretes this upon death. It comes out of their skin from their, their, yeah. Right, yeah, right at that moment when he was doing Mm -hmm. that, I had brought in a a snack. So I had some crackers and a little salami and I'm sitting there taking a bite of my snack or eating, you know, I'm in the middle like, and he goes, their dead bodies are secreting this polymer. I was like, oh, thanks a lot, Bob. (laughs) You just ruined my my snack, my rewatch. I always have to have a rewatch snack. Another thing I want to bring up, which is interesting, that happens throughout Voyager, when we see when Patera first um, is in the sick bay and Janeway's talking to her. Yeah, and you got a close up on Janeway. Janeway does this thing where she does this very quick scan of the other actress of her, I mean, Janeway's eyes go up, down, left, right. Usually they just do the left, right thing, but this time they were doing up and down and left and right. And I find that there's just some actors that on their close up, their eyes will do that rapid scanning thing, like an REM rapid eye movement while you're awake um, thing. Do you notice that at all? Like if I'm my close up and I'm looking at you, I'm just looking dead at you. I don't, I don't, I do not, you know, 
I don't go this way. I don't go that way. I just look straight at you. Like, you know, when you did go this way and that way, when you sat up in the bed, you sat up in the bed and you went <laughs> like that. Yeah, but that was then, with my hammer too. Yeah, you like sat and it did like this. Okay. And for those on just the pod, audio podcast, I sat up into a fisheye close-up and imitated Garrett's he look. imitated my look, which was the best. With the eyes. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I'm just saying, typically, I know, I've know i noticed that throughout the years that Janeway, that Kate will do that when you know, on her close-up. I think Kate's uh, characterization like she's, she's, of the captain is she's absorbing information constantly. That Maybe that's it. She's kind of leaning into every conversation. Like, what else can I pick up from your body language, from your from your tone of voice, from the words you're saying? What else can I pick up? I she's like very, that. Very kind of leaning into uh, just absorbing every detail. Yeah, because now that I think about it, when I look, I've seen her in other projects, not Voyager, and she that doesn't happen. So maybe yeah. that is her character choice, and she's doing that like you know extra yeah. examination of what's happening. So okay. Hatil's wife, which I don't recall the name of that character, but when she came on screen for the first time, I thought it was Chase Masterson. I don't know if you got that vibe or not. I was like, Oh, that's Chase. interesting. Yeah. It does sort kind of, of, yeah. It kind of looks like Chase Masterson, Lita, the Dabo girl from DS9. And I, yeah. I you know, but it wasn't. So uh, I did notice when you got, uh, when you went through the, what's, what is it called again? Vacuole? The subspace vacuole. Vacuole. The subspace vacuole. Yeah, vacuole. when you, when you when you went there and you were basically in their uh their death chamber um david livingston started using a lot of dutch angles and we don't we didn't do that often on our show explain that to the layman a dutch angle is when the camera instead of being uh a level with the horizon mm -hmm. a dutch angle is tilted to one side or the other like a classic old horror movie like, like a funhouse. So a Dutch angle is is making everything seem like it's tilted sideways or off 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 uh, balance. So yeah. David started using this those wide lenses and the Dutch angles in that alien sick bay. He was doing that a lot. Yeah, and we didn't do that often. That's not that's not a technique that our show used often. So it also makes it feel like a horror movie. Like I felt early on like. When that when the the doctor came in, they yep. called for the doctor and he came in. That I felt like we were a bit in a house of horrors, like you know, which which I think is an interesting interesting choice. I wonder if it yep. had something to do with the pacing. I felt like the uh, and I know it was a big Harry Kim episode, so don't take this personally. But I felt like yep. the pacing was too slow, all around. I think the guest stars were really slow. I think, and I wonder if that was intentional on David Livingston's part to try to make it seem suspenseful like these long pauses and slow sometimes in a horror movie you know things happen yeah there's a lot of tension and suspense for yeah. me it didn't it didn't play that way in this episode it just played slow and i wish that it had been paced up faster i hear you and i remember and i don't take offense to that i remember like when i first i have that scene where i'm sitting on that alien bio bed and i'm talking to the doctor and i am speaking kind of slowly and also very my tone of voice is lower kind of too and i and i sat there thinking was that a direction that david gave me because why why am i talking like that i was a little yeah. 
you know, taken aback by that. And then Hatil's delivery was very slow. Slow. The only one that kind of was quick was Dr. Naraya, Jerry Harden's character. He was just like, you know, okay, we've got to examine you. We've, we have to analyze you. We've got to take you to the, to the other uh, location. And basically, you know, I, I am the little green man, right? I'm the alien to them, which is such a crazy concept that I am their alien, right? That I've, I've just appeared. And now that they're going to do experimentation and possibly, you know, open me up to see what makes me tick kind of a thing, right? Well, so. I tell you, this whole section, I, I started getting confused as the story developed and you realize that Patera had brain cancer, mm-hmm. so she was she was dying. And then you see uh, Hatil with his accident and the brace he's wearing. I started getting confused. Like, wait a minute, are these evil people that are killing? Like, they're they're lying to them on purpose to get rid of the weak and the sick. Like, that's what I thought at, at that point in the story. Oh. Like, like, oh, these doctors know this is bullshit. These doctors know that this whole afterlife story is not true, but they're just tricking everybody to get rid of the weak and the sick. That's how my, that's where my head went. I don't think huh. that was the story they intended. No, I don't think Be- so either. Because but I see ev- where you can see it that. everybody believed in this. That's why I'm saying that the science and some of these details to me didn't make it more interesting. It made it more confusing. Like, I th- I thought okay. I thought that's you know, oh we're going down the, they're lying to everybody to to get rid of the weak weak and the sick. Oh no, they're not lying to everybody. So why did they need to be sick or weak? Why can't it just be simply, yeah, our afterlife is so much better than life that even even though I'm my life is fine, I'm ready to go. Like that would have been a cleaner story to me yeah. rather than. Oh, I've got, or or maybe have one of those characters, but it just seemed like everybody's got cancer or handicaps or like. Yeah. I mean, Hatil didn't look that bad off. He had the leg brace, which honestly, when I saw him with that brace watching this episode, it just reminded me of the movie Forrest Gump when uh, Tom Hanks' younger self, when he's a kid, he had that leg, oh, yeah. leg brace on when, when, uh, when Jenny yells, run, Forrest, run. But I could just see him, run, Hatil, run. I, I just, that, that came in my head. I don't know yeah, why. Yeah, I don't know why either. It's uh, weird. <laughs> um, so I, I, I find it interesting that this race believes that the afterlife is not a spiritual um, transference. It's literally you go to another plane of existence with the current body that you have, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So they don't yeah. really think about your soul or spirit. Um, so this is really a good episode in that it just, it makes you ask But I gotta say, questions. Like, yeah, I gotta say like, honestly, and I, and I hesitate to get into a religious conversation because that's mm-hmm. always quicksand. But yes, I think most people have a general sense if they have, religion or faith or that kind of belief of in an afterlife. I never hear people discussing, oh, in the afterlife, I'm not going to look like this. It's going to be a whole different. They expect to see their parents and their grandparents and their dogs. Like in the perception for most people that, that, that have that kind of religious faith is that generally I'm going to kind of be myself and I'm going to recognize the people I'm going to be reunited with the, the people that I love and care for because mm-hmm. they've gone to that afterlife. So, right. so I, I don't think it's a big leap for them to say like, yeah, you're going to be in the same body. Like it's just, they're just explicitly saying it. 
Yeah, that's true. Another note I have that when Janeway talks to Patera in sickbay, Kess is in the background, out of focus, sitting there doing some work. Beep, beep. Yes. Beep. She's like but pushing buttons. She, she has the best sitting posture of any human being I've yes. seen. I mean, she's just like, dun, 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 dun. I mean, it's it was really impressive. I, Thank I, for you that, for saying that. I'm gonna sit up even better. I know. I see podcast. now. Now that I sit up, now now you don't. Now you just see my nose, my single set yeah. of nostrils. Yeah, you need to. You need I to need to slouch. There. Yeah, I need to slouch a little bit. Um, so what was the uh, what 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 do you get from the you know what's the underlying meaning what is the message that you would say that this episode kind of gave you? Well, to me, the theme of this episode is what Janeway says at the very end, and I and I wrote her her line down: "What we don't know about death is far greater than what we do know." Mm -hmm. And I thought, to me, that what we don't know about death is the subject of this episode but in a way death is a stand-in for so many things that at this point voyager doesn't know about the delta quadrant doesn't know about so what we don't know about all of this experience is far greater than what we do know i thought that was the theme it's like being open it's like what is that quote you know uh, uh ignorant people don't know what they don't know like yeah. you know people who are truly ignorant think they know everything yeah. They think they've got all the answers and wise people know that they don't know what they don't know and are open are open to learning something. So I think to me, that's the theme. It's like being open to things that are unexplainable, being open to what Harry went through in terms of going to another dimension where that separation is a death experience. And he had that. He went somewhere where he had to die and be reborn in a, in a, in a, in a way that's the classic hero's journey. Like Joseph Campbell's hero with a thousand faces, the hero's journey of right. going on an adventure, a call to adventure. That's what Harry Kim did. He got this call. He got hmm. shot over to another dimension and he had this experience where he learned something hmm. and he came up with a solution, but he had to die in order to be reborn. It's a great hero's. It's a classic yeah. hero's journey that yeah. um, is a great story. So. For me, the, the underlying message of something that, that can help better our lives also comes from that last scene where Janeway speaks to Kim. Um, but more so about her saying, you know, take Kim's all eager beaver and he's ready to get back to work now. And she says, take two days off, right? And he's like, really? No, I'm fine. She's like, no, seriously, take two days off because her message is sometimes you got to smell the roses. You know, sometimes you got to, you have to really let things after you've experienced them, you got to let those things kind of resonate through you instead of mm -hmm. just skipping over it because you don't want to get jaded. That was, that was the message to me is like, oh, don't wow. get jaded, man. I mean, stay, stay, be present, be there. And then, she, and it's interesting because she said, sometimes you experience something that is so, um, it's so extraordinary that you have to do things to help yourself process it. Such as she said, paint, mm -hmm. write, write, take some time to write. And writing, you know, in my life, uh, whenever I've, I've experienced difficult times, I've been given that advice from certain friends saying, you know what, whatever you're going through right now, write it down. Because mm -hmm. in a weird way, writing 
is a is a form of catharsis you know this mm -hmm. this way of almost self uh, analyzing yourself in a way right they mm -hmm. are self giving yourself a form of self therapy and i felt like that was sort of the underlying message for me that Jamie was just like okay just just stop pause reflect yeah. it's a great it's a you know great lesson yeah. yeah great great observation great yeah. lesson as an actor for this scene when i'm reading through the script uh, mm -hmm. for the first time and i got to that point where I'm inside the alien coffin and the script says the, the cenotaph is opera is, is, is turned on and the two little uh, alien, like, you know, tubule things come into my neck yep. and then it says, Harry Kim dies. And the way they wrote it in the script was extra bold, all caps, Harry Kim dies. And this is the first season. So, and this is my first job. And this is also my feeling like I'm the first one on the chopping block if there is a chopping block. So I go, oh my God. So I start flipping the pages of the script. I, oh, I got more lines. I got more lines. I'm alive. I'm alive. Like, <laughs> I'm still on the show. Yay. So that, that was funny. a big, that was a huge deal for me. And then also, I just want to talk a little bit towards as an actor, um, we say that as actors, whatever role that we take on, um, whatever scene we do, we always draw on a little piece of our life experience to help us act yeah. in the scenes. But yeah. clearly, as an actor who is alive, I have no experience of dying, right? So that th therein lies the problem. So now, as a young, early in my 20s, early 20s actor trying to act like I'm dying, this is my very first, you know, death scene per se and I'm sitting here thinking like what am I well, no, how am I going to go through this and I just remember lying in that coffin and just thinking okay if this was really it because this is a really very forward um, um, move that Kim is making saying like let me take your place and let's just shoot me out into the asteroid hopefully Voyager will fit was still there and they're going to go ahead and and find me and resuscitate me and Hatil goes but it's no guarantee and i'm like no it isn't a guarantee this is a huge deal right huge and, yeah and, and even that that point on the bridge right before harry dies there's that scene where where torres says to the captain i think we should just leave you know and i and i remember getting a little emotional going you're gonna leave you're gonna leave no you know it was it was a little shocking to me to to hear that and I really felt that but as to get back to the death scene I was inside that coffin and I kept thinking if I'm about to literally go through this very gutsy risky un unproven method of trying to get back to Voyager what am I going to go through probably my first thought is like wait a minute stop it just stop it stop it I'll just live on this planet I don't want to die you know I'll just stay here you can right, just right. have me right uh, uh just stop the process so but then I was like no no so I was doing this you know this exercise um, in my own head where it was just literally, um, it was frustration that I was in this in that situation to begin with. And then, mm -hmm. uh, and then also just scared, scared to, to, you know, scared to the point of just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, hyperventilating, kind of just about to, about to lose it, that, that I'm about to die. And then once the tubules went in, I remember, I remember, I think David Livingston, the director yelled out, you know, and Harry's dead or something like that. And then I, and at that point, I just sort of said, okay, just release everything, all the tension that I had in me, like, and all the nerves and fear and anxiety, just release it and just let go of everything. And I just sort of um, use that as my representation of death. So I think I did a, an okay job. I'm not, I'm not totally I thought it was great, it. actually. I thought it was, I thought it was great. I thought, 
when those things came into your neck and it was so simple and subtle and it wasn't overdone, I thought it was great. I really okay. did. All right, good. Yeah. So I'm happy about that. I loved, um, by the way, so you died and then you woke up, then you, then you, you wake up in sick bay. Were you supposed to be naked? Yeah, because underneath those sheets, those little- The shroud? The shroud, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, you're supposed to be. I guess when they beam you, when you get beamed out, the shroud gets left there, because- uh, uh, Yeah, that Hatil, was confusing. Hatil talked about, I'm putting on these shrouds that have been passed down through generations of yeah, my five, family. Yeah, five, five generations. generations. And I'm like, wow, they look mar remarkably new for being five, five generations old. I didn't understand that. I also thought like, well, so did the shroud just like flop down in the bed when they beam them over to the astral? That's what I, that's what I think happens. I know? guess and it has to. Yeah. So, so I'm, te I'm technically naked. you were naked. Yeah. Do you notice my makeup they put on me? They made me look kind of dead a little bit. Yeah. It, was a little, yep. it was a different color makeup that they put on my face too. It was good. Did you have I any felt... notes on my, my nakedness? Is that what you were no. Oh, okay. body, body makeup. I did have a note. Do you yeah. remember having to do body makeup? So like they usually put makeup on your face to make, you know, the camera Correct. and the lights. Yeah. But when you, when you don't have a shirt on, then they've got to take, because otherwise it'll look like your face has makeup and your body's, you know. Correct. Five shades lighter. Correct. And they have to put the same color on your body. And they got to blend it. The they take these sponges in cold water. Yeah. And they, and they put it on and it's freezing. And, it, and, and it's it, a different makeup. It's a different makeup. It's a liquid-based makeup. Because yeah. the, the, the stuff on our face that they put on our face was pancake. Remember that yeah. really heavy yeah. Joe, Joe Blasco uh, brand um, theatrical makeup, which was just caked on our skin, yeah. which caused me, I don't know about you, but I had so much acne throughout those seven years, so just from my, my pores being clogged up. I, I think you probably didn't have a lot of zits. Uh, they didn't have that much. And I, and I would always say, like, eh, I don't know, less makeup, less makeup. Like, I didn't want to Really? Oh, good for yeah. you. Good for you. Yeah. But you're right. When they did the body stuff on us, it was cold. It was distracting. And it was just, but they had to do it to blend it to your face. They had yeah. to do it. The only other note is another close-up on Harry to finish the episode. <laughs> Every time it's a close-up on Harry. Um, okay. So, so that's our recap. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening in on our discussion of emanations. And tune in next week while we discuss prime factors.